Well, good morning. That was pretty pathetic. Good morning. Sometimes, you know, we have to put ourselves into it. We have to encourage ourselves because uh, life's just tough and we need to realize we're here to meet with the Lord. We're here to get or to challenge ourselves and reconnect ourselves to God. So sometimes I, that, that's what I do when I worship. I make myself do what I just don't feel like doing because that's how I get out of myself. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bible <clears throat> to uh, John chapter 13, Gospel of John chapter 13. What we're going to read today is a dividing point. Chapters, oh, I, I want to I say this to all the young people that are here. I don't want to forget this. Uh, all, all you young people should have one of these uh, flyers. It, it's got some uh, things happening in the church on the one side and a fill-in-the-blank outline on the other. If you young people will make an attempt to fill that out, uh, if you can't write yet, do some artwork for me. And then bring it up and show me. And if you bring it up and show me, we're going to make sure that you get a special treat. Okay? Okay? And all the kids said, okay. All right. So if you don't have one of these papers, you better get one for mom. All right. John chapter 13. Chapters 1 through 12 all relate Jesus reaching people, reaching out to people. He's healing. He's teaching. He's doing object lessons. He's, he's doing parables. Uh, he's calming the sea. He's doing all these amazing miracles in the lives of people. He's trying to convey to people he represents God, and God can do anything. The sky's the limit with him. Then in chapter 13, there's a distinctive change. In chapter 13 on, Jesus zeroes in on the 12, the 12 apostles. It's not that he doesn't care about the masses, but he zeroes in on the 12 because he knows his days are about up. He knows his time is coming to an end. And he realizes that he must invest in these last, this last time he has, chapter 13 to the end. He's got to invest in his disciples. And so we see him alone with his disciples teaching them, challenging them, motivating them, sending them out, getting them ready for what's about to happen. And so in chapter 13, we find ourselves in the upper room with Jesus and the disciples. And I want to share four uh, aspects of the story that we can learn for ourselves. And, and I hope when we read a story, we're not looking for a history lesson. I pray that we're looking for God to speak to us, something that we need to hear today, something that will help me live my life today. So the first thing, let, let's just read the, the first uh, paragraphs, verses 2 through 5, <clears throat> and uh, let, let's read this together. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet 
drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Here's the first thing, the first blank you can write down in your outline. Teach visually. Jesus gave people object lessons. He did something, and once he got everybody's attention, he then began to explain what that represented, what that was teaching. He gave them object lessons. He acted it out first, and then he taught them the lesson. I wonder what it would be like for the next generation if we all did that with our children and grandchildren. We let them see us practice it first, and then we told them what they ought to learn from that, how they ought to live their life. Instead, we tell them how they ought to live their life, and then we do whatever comes natural for us. They need to see it modeled in us. Jesus was modeling it before his disciples. He taught visually an object lesson. So he got down on his knees, and he began washing their feet one by one. There were four Four words there in the New International Version that I, that I just read that started with the letter P. And each of them give us a new perspective on the story. The first one is the word progress. The meal was in progress. Now, you know, when I, when I do my devotionals, when I'm studying the Word of God, I like to use the New King James Version. That's kind of my native language. I'm, I've memorized Scripture from the King James Version. But the King James Version said, when the meal was done, this happened. There's a big difference between when the meal was done and the meal was in progress. So I thought, I want to understand this. So I looked that word up in the original Greek, and it's, it's the word genomai. We get our word genesis from it. We get our word genetics from it. It has to do with beginning. But the beginning isn't the ending. It's just the beginning. It's the unfolding. It's the opening of the book. So the meal wasn't really finished. If the meal was done, Jesus wouldn't later in the same chapter say, he who dips this bread in wine with me is the one who's going to betray. That implies to me the meal is still progressing after he washes their feet. So I think the New International Version most probably portrays it better here. The meal was in progress. All the disciples were eating, and Jesus got up from the table while they were eating, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. The second P word there is the word prompted. Satan had prompted Judas, one of the twelve, to betray the Lord. Satan had already done that. And here he is sitting at the table with Jesus and the disciples. And it was already in his heart to do that. Now it's not until the meal is over that Judas goes out and strikes up the bargain to betray Jesus for a pretty good donation to his ministry. He betrays the Lord and what the Lord's trying to accomplish And it was this man who had already made his mind up. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus washed his feet. It wasn't just the good guys. It wasn't just his friends. It wasn't just the people he's trying to build relationship with. It was his betrayer. He washed his feet. 
he's setting before us a model for us to follow. The fourth word is power. Jesus knew that the Father had put power in his hand. He had the power of God. He knew that. How did he know that? Well, he's able to speak to a storm and it calms down. He's able to speak to a dead man and he raises up. He's able to do all these miracles. So he's convinced now that the power of God works through him. He's come to the place of maturity, uh, acting out the power of God in a fallen planet and seeing victories everywhere. He sees this. He's convinced that the power of God is in him. Now, what's he going to do with that power? That's a question we all have to deal with. If I have the power, if we, if we Christians believe that the Spirit of God that lives inside of us is the same Spirit that raised up Christ from the dead, then we have the power of God inside of us. Amen? What are we going to do with the power of God inside of us? Oh, we, when we think of the power of God, we usually think of some great, glorious manifestation, some wonderful thing that gets everybody excited. We don't think about the power of God getting down and washing someone else's feet. We don't think about that being the release of the power of God. You see, God wants to convert the world. He wants to change people's lives. And we're never going to argue somebody into the kingdom of God. The only way you're going to get someone to follow your persuasion is to get down and wash their feet or do some such thing in service to them. That's how we win their heart over. That's how we turn them around. That's how Jesus did it. He healed people still in their sin. That made them hungry for more. It pulled them in. It's the power. Here's the fourth word. He poured. He didn't tell a, what do you do if you're the leaders? You tell a servant to come pour. He didn't have a servant come pour the water. He got that water in the basin and he poured it or in, in that uh, pitcher. He poured it into that basin. He moved the basin around the table, washing everybody's feet. He did it himself. He was his own servant. And he's teaching us something. The point is, he was preparing. He was doing his own preparation. He didn't didn't go buy a book someplace and read on what he ought to do. He did it. He created this himself. Nobody else had done this before. The head of the house doesn't wash people's feet. It's the lowest person on the, empl- on the employee status. It's the, the, the lesser person's job to wash the, the stinky, dusty, dirty feet of people who came into the house. But Jesus is stepping down from being the, in the upper place to being in the lower place to serve his disciples. One of them, the Bible says, being a devil, Judas. So he had to prepare himself. And to prepare himself, he had to take off his garment. He had to take off his covering. Now, you you probably heard about this garment that he wore. Jesus was not the kind of person that would not fit with his character that, he, that he, he, he went off to, to men's warehouse and bought a, a three-piece designer suit. He wasn't that kind of a person. 
He was a commoner. He wasn't a commoner, but he acted like a commoner. He lived like a commoner because he was trying to reach the commoner. But somebody, cared, somebody recognized something in him, and they wanted to bless him, and they did not want him looking like he didn't have something to offer. So somebody made him this amazing garment. We don't know what it was made out of, what kind of material they had back then, but it was something that, that stood out. It was top-of-the-line material. Somebody had put this together, and I, I read someplace that this garment was, didn't have one seam in it. It was interwoven all the way around without any seams. That had to be worth some money back in that day. That had to be something somebody would desire. And Jesus is the leader, and he's teaching his disciples something very important at this moment. And to teach them that, he's got to take off this nice garment. Takes it off, sets it aside, exposing himself. Picks up a towel, wraps it around his waist, and he goes to the disciples and goes around washing their feet one by one by one. Are you preparing yourself? If we believe we're children of God and God has placed us here to serve him, or have we prepared ourselves to serve? You know, you have to do something to prepare yourself. We, uh, we have here at, at uh, New Hope, we have a school of ministry that meets on Sunday afternoons. It's a training program to help people get systematically organized in what the Bible teaches and how Christianity functions. So we use uh, video teaching uh, from nation to nation Christian university. Some of the best teachers from our, from our um, uh, Protestant persuasion, Pentecostal persuasion, some of the best teachers get to teach some amazing things. And the students are going through it, and when they're finished going through it, they're going to earn an associate's degree. And there's a group that's a little bit ahead of them that's working on a bachelor's degree. So it's actually a certification that comes with this. I think that's really cool. It's exciting. It's for people that want to prepare themselves. I'm so glad when I was young and brand new in my faith, and I didn't know what I believed, that I went to a school like that called Christian Training Center. And I learned systematic theology. In other words, why do I believe what I believe? And, and not just bits and pieces that you pick up from the pastor you listen to every Sunday, but systematically, structurally working your way through what we believe, laying a foundation to prepare ourselves. So I just, I'm mentioning that now because next January, we're going to start up the new semester. And there might be some of you that are at the age in life where you don't have uh, as, as much work pressure as you once did. You got a little, little more uh, flexibility. You might still be in school. You might just want to learn more about the Bible. And you, the Bible confuses you more than it helps you. This is a great opportunity. So it's coming up in January. You can sign up and be a part of that. We'll give you more information as we go. But that's just uh, one example of preparing ourselves for what God wants to do. Here's the second the, the second thing I want us to see in our outline. And that's found in verses 6 and 7. Let's read that. Jesus came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, 
Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. So here, here's point number two. Think again. It looks like this is what Jesus is doing, but actually he's doing something else. Think again. Jesus, it's pretty obvious what he's doing. He's washing, he's washing the dust off the people's feet. That's pretty obvious. He's humbling himself. That's pretty obvious. But Jesus said, you don't understand. Later you'll understand, but you don't understand it right now. Think again. Everyone else seems to be submitting to having their feet washed. But when he gets to Peter, and we don't know if he was early in the line, at the end of the line, somewhere in the middle, but when he gets to Peter, Peter speaks up. Are you going to wash my feet? I don't think so. He's got a problem with this. I think I would have a problem with this. Because it doesn't register with the way my mind works. Jesus is doing something totally out of the box totally unconventional. And it takes everybody by surprise when he steps down to wash their feet. This is what the house servant does. But they didn't realize who the house servant was. Jesus is the servant of the house. I'm so glad I'm a part of the house of God. How about you? He said, later you'll understand. Sounds pretty sure. He didn't say, I, I hope you'll understand later, or maybe you'll figure this out later. He says, later you will understand. In other words, Jesus has faith that somewhere along the spiritual progression of their life, they're going to figure this out. And that's kind of what I've learned about my Christian journey. I don't understand but God gives me a little bit of information here, a little bit there, a piece of the puzzle here, a story from someone else over here, and it all begins to add up, and I start getting wiser the longer I go. And I can circumvent my wisdom by saying, I don't like this, I'm going the other way. I got to get mad at those people, they don't shake hands with me, uh, and head my own way. I can circumvent the progress. But God is working on a progress, and he's letting us know a little bit more today than we knew last year. That's the progress we make. You see, the disciples' feet represent their journey. When you walk, th there's no way. You as a Christian, I understand you're filled with God's Spirit. I understand you're excited about the grace of God, and one day you're going to be in heaven. But you can't walk through life on planet Earth and not get your feet dirty. I mean, there's too many negatives out there. This is, uh, Satan is the God of this world. There's too many obstacles to trip us up. And Jesus understands that they're, they're all clean, except for one but they all have dirty feet. And he washes the dirty feet. Now you're clean because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. But you need your feet washed every now and then. Amen. Because we get dirty feet along the journey. And Jesus washes our dirty feet. And along with the uh, with faithful disciples, he's also washing Judas's feet. 
That's interesting. Because he's modeling how we should behave. All right, let's go to number three. Here's the third point. Because I don't want to lose the young people, so I got to keep moving. Number three, turn around. Turn around. We read this in verses eight and nine. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. This is called a turnaround. This, this is called repentance. He says, no, you'll never wash my feet. That's pretty emphatic. I mean, he's drawing the line. He's making a bold uh, commitment here. You shall never wash my feet, no matter what. Not going to happen. Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, you won't have any part with me. And he immediately retracts. He immediately changes. Have you ever repented? Have you ever had to change the way you thought? Which is what the word repent means, change your mind. If you change your mind, your behavior naturally changes with it. Jesus told a parable about a father that had two sons. And he told him to go out on the farm and do a certain errand, do a certain thing. And the first son says, sure, dad, I'll be glad to do that. But he doesn't do it. And the other son says, no, I don't want to do that. Not going to do that. But he changes his mind and goes and does it. And Jesus said, now, which of the two pleased his father? It's pretty obvious. It's the one that said no and then changed his mind. Which tells me Jesus rejoices in people who change their mind. He's not interested in our stubbornness. He's not interested in our, our uh, um, obstinateness. He's not interested in our pride. He's interested in obedience and bringing us to where he wants us to be. So it's okay if you were stubborn. It's okay if you were a rascal. It's okay if you were a sinner mocking God. He wants you to turn around and change your mind and do what he's called us to do, that pleases the Father. All right. Let's go to number four, the fourth step. And this is the takeaway. What do we take away from this story? There's got to be a, a moral to the story, uh, a conclusion to it. There's got to be a way that it all comes together. What's the takeaway? Let's find it. We're going to read verses 12 through 15 and verse 17. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Notice, he doesn't say, 
you should do what I have done for you. He said, you should do as I have done for you. So we're talking about a motivation. Okay. So Jesus says, do you understand what I've done? Well, it's pretty obvious what he's done. Everybody's got clean feet now. They don't stink anymore. It's pretty obvious what he did. Why would Jesus have to ask the question, do you understand what I've done for you? It's because he, he knows they don't understand what he's done. So we learn that Jesus isn't just talking about a model of washing one another's feet. He's talking about us doing as he did when he washed their feet, humbling ourselves. Verse 17, we need to read that. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. How many want to be blessed? Well, half of us want to be blessed. The other half doesn't vote. He's not telling us to have a foot washing service. That's not the point. He's not telling us that we should humble ourselves. That's not the point. And that's what you have to humble yourself if you're going to let somebody wash your feet. And you have to humble yourself to wash someone else's feet. That's, that's humility. He's talking about something way beyond that. He's talking about serving our enemies, doing good to those that despitefully use us. He's talking about doing the uncommon, the unnatural, the, the, the thing that nobody else would do, heaping coals of fire upon their head. When, you, when they do something bad to you and you do something good in return, that messes with their head. They don't know how to deal with that. In our world, we get things by winning the fight. And so we want to fight with one another. And when somebody fights with us and we react as a peacemaker, it melts something down. It just takes a barrier and dissolves it. It's like throwing acid on this barrier and it just melts away. I mean, who would strike back unless you struck back? It's a peacemaking venture. And he's telling us how to be peacemakers in this world and bring people who are at odds with God back into his presence. He's telling them, go serve someone. And don't let the fact that they're your enemy get in the way of you serving them. Because when we empty ourselves of our pride and we do a good turn for someone that doesn't deserve a good turn, something happens in the spiritual dimension. You reap what you sow. What you give out comes back to you. So Jesus has this power, the power, the authority of God. He's got it working in him. What will he do with that power? He gets down and he washes the disciples' feet. That's what he does with his power. You want to see the power of God work through you? Then serve one another. That's how the power gets released. You lose control. You lose the fight when you serve somebody else. But God wins it. You release something to happen in the, in the spiritual realm when you do that. Do 
as I have done for you. Do is a verb here. It takes some action. We got we to gotta get up off our comfortable seats and we have to do something. Take some action. Well, pastor, that's kind of risky. Yeah, faith is risky. But we need to exercise our faith. So it's interesting that after Jesus told them to do as he did, there's not one incident in the book of Acts where the early church was being established where anybody washed anyone else's feet. There's not one verse anywhere in the epistles where, where Paul and Peter and John are laying out the belief system that we have and how it should be practiced. There's not one, word, one, not one verse in there about washing one another's feet. But the whole thing is about service. The whole thing is about reaching outside of ourselves, touching the heart of someone else. This is what it's about. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says it like this. Brothers and sisters, notice who he's talking to. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, King James says, you who are spiritual, you consider yourself spiritual, you consider yourself living by the Spirit, listen, you should be the one restoring that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. That means help them with a load. Help them with a load. That could mean financially. That could mean on some kind of a supportive way where you encourage them, share scripture with them. That could mean something physical you help them do. In, in washing one another's feet and serving one another, we make a difference in their life. And when we make a difference in their life, the church grows and matures and gets better. And it comes around and rewards us. And uh, we're blessed if we do it, Jesus said. Now, just one little, uh, two, two little practical tips on washing one another's feet, as Jesus is telling us. Number one, when you're washing someone else's feet, don't use cold water. Cold water just puts the fire out. Be careful with how many rules and restrictions you put on someone else. Those rules and restrictions God has written on your heart because of where you are spiritually. Be careful the rules God's written on your heart that you don't put them on someone else's heart because they're not ready. That can be like throwing cold water on their excitement. And the second is similar to it. Don't wash one another's feet with hot water. You know, sometimes we get so excited about what God did for us, we just want to make that happen for someone else. And it creates a friction that burns them out before they ever get started. We've got to come alongside somebody, hold them by the hand, and help them up. They're not, they're not where we are. Let's not demand that they be like we are. They have to grow into it. You weren't always the way you are now, Amen. right? God's developed things along the way, and he will with others. This is called bottom-up leadership. When you get down and as a servant, you do something for them, 
but you are leading them. It's the difference between a cattle drive and a shepherd leading the flock. One more thing I want you to, to catch before we, we wrap this up. For Jesus to be able to wash the disciples' feet, he had to take off that nice garment and lay it aside. That royal robe he had to lay aside. Then he got down on their level, washed their feet. When he got all done, he went back over, picked up the robe, and put it back on. Lesson for me is I don't lose my uh, spirituality by getting down where dirty people are. I don't lose my spirituality. When I'm done serving, I put it back on. I think this is a picture of Jesus Christ who spent all eternity with the Father in heaven. And on that first Christmas, he took off his royal robe and came down here and was born naked as a human being, lived his life down here for 30-some years, investing in people, trying to make a better... Well, he's washing feet. That's what he's doing. And when he got done, he went back up there and put his royal robe on again. That's his, this is Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus lives inside of us. He expects us to do what he did. Do as, as I have for you. Do it for someone else. And if we can just keep reproducing that generation after generation, the church will stay alive and thrive. When the church pulls inward and it becomes all about us, and would you pray for me rather than praying for them? I would pray for me, pray for me. Let's, let, let's do things for us. We've lost the Great Commission. And the fire goes out. We've got to get outside of us, and we have to serve. Have to serve. We've got to do this. That's where the life is. We have to serve. Would you stand with me? We got to serve. So think about what that means for you. What do you think? Who do you think God might be putting in your life to serve? It might be somebody at school with you. I mean, the real rotten apple. It might be the troubled kid who hassles you. It might be the troubled coworker everything's going wrong in his personal life and you have to work with him and he just he or she just rants and spews out their their bitterness that might be the person God brings into your life so that you can invest amen so think about it. who who could, that, who could that person be because I want to pray for an empowerment on you as you serve that rascal that scoundrel the one that Jesus died for. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters of all ages. Father, we come from different walks of life, but we come in here because we're hungry for you. We want to know what your spirit is saying. 
We want you to show us how to do what you told us to do. So, Father, empower us. Put in our minds, put in our hearts, put in our hands and our feet what we should do, how we should do it, what kind of attitudes behind it, so that we can see your spirit do great and mighty things in this world. So empower us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. we got prayer partners that will be up here at the front that will agree with you on prayer. And if you fill out your outline, young people, and you want to show that to me, then we got a treat for you.